Welcome to the new healthcare economy where everyone wins for a change. Employers, consumers, primary care physicians, outcomes, shareholders, even our communities all win with costs dropping 20 to 60%. This unstoppable direct contracting movement bypasses the big middles with their crooked game boards, devious rule book, rigged dice, and purchased referees. I'm Rob Barshop, and I'm glad you're here. So VBC, 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 value-based care, everything's going to value. Why then is value-based care dwarfed by fee-for-service? Somewhere between 4 and 40%, depending on your definitions of value, is value-based, and the rest is all fee-for-service. And of that 4 to 40%, only about 5 to 6% is full risk, where savings are significant to CMS, like today's guest firm. They are that rare full-risk VBC, 31 years now, since 92. And you only go full-risk with CMS if you're extremely confident you can improve outcomes of complex chronic patients. You systematically know how to go to the extra mile with them with a care plan to change their lifestyles and open those doors. And you know how to create wins. Because you win as a doctor and nurse when you join a firm like this, and CMS, the payer wins, and outcomes win, and costs decline. And that would be five A's, way past the triple or quadruple A, all winners. Why isn't the majority then full risk value-based care with all these winners? Well, we're going to ask our guest to that today. Because the feds must agree to fund this and Medicare for the last 20 years as an experiment has saved no money with BBC partial risk. It's a wash against fee-for-service over the long haul. For all the ballyhoo and all the noise, it's a dead even on cost against fee-for-service. So everyone is waiting for a Superman who's never going to fly to the rescue. Except there is a Superman to the rescue, or Captain Marvel, if you prefer, ladies. Direct care has grown up in the last six or seven years. We started this show five years ago. And since I've started it, we had 30% annual growth in attracting primary care physicians to direct primary care. 159% growth versus basically flat in legacy care the last five years. And over 80% of employees want direct primary care when it's explained to them, according to Hint Health study was done two years ago. And 90% of employers plan to add it, says Willers Towers Watson in its 2022 study. And one in three employers with over 5,000 employees currently have DPC or on-site care. And 31% of all employers offer their care for free, free, because it has a one-to-one -one ROI, it pays for itself. That's free care for 7.7 million people if we do have 25 million members by my count of people that we've interviewed on this show. Nobody else is counting. It's just us that I know of. But 8 million people getting free health care. Do you see anything about that in the headlines? Do you see any academic studies about that? You don't, and you won't. DPC requires no rich Bruce Wayne to fund it or noble Clark Kent to report it at the Daily Planet to fix health care. It's happening in a quiet, unstoppable movement with no press, few academic studies, but it's unstoppable despite this massive headwind and roadblocks by regulators and politicians, even the IRS, the entrenched extractive bigs. Nobody wants it to succeed, but it succeeds because employers want this badly. Bigs who feed on volume, not outcomes, don't. 
but because they as a stock sector have always been in the top three performers in any 10 year period since I've been alive and whose lobby exceeds the next four lobbies combined in spend until this year. Some of the other lobbies are starting to get smart and figure out healthcare did something right when they got a trillion dollars out of Congress in COVID. But by any measure, direct care creates winners of us all, just like full risk VBC. The consumer wins, the employer wins, the doctors and nurses win, the shareholders win, the outcomes go up, costs go down, communities win in two huge ways we'll talk about another time. So that's seven winners, seven aims, if you will, not three or four. Anybody still talking about the quadrupling needs to go to dinosaur land. Okay, so direct care is a future where everybody wins with 25 million members strong, five national DPC firms and 21 regionals that we've had on the show. The average NPS score internally is 88 to 98% for their doctors, and it's the same 88 to 98 for their consumers that are joining because they're renewing in the high 90s. And there's about a one-to-one -one ROI and hard costs and about a 10-to-1 in soft costs when you throw in workers' comp, absenteeism, and more like that. There's 20,000 white coats in the movement, 640 surgery centers that take cash, 2,000 imaging centers, wholesale pharmacies that sell medications that are generic at one to four cents a pill, and specialists and labs all prefer cash. So today we welcome back the favorite guest, Gordon Chin, from our first year. He was the former CMO, Chief Medical Officer, and is currently a board member of Chen Med. And he's produced a book called A Memoir of Family, Faith, and the Future of Healthcare, all about Chen Med's growth. So it was a family-owned and now is being led by the former CEO of United Healthcare as its new president. So welcome back, Gordon, to the show. Hey, Ron. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Any comments before we get going? Yeah, super passionate about you know what you were talking about earlier. This transition from fee for service to value—it's just—it's not sufficient. It's not enough to transform American healthcare. We need to go farther. Um, I love all your comments about direct primary care. You know, I think that that um, is, is a great option, especially for like working Americans. Obviously, for senior care, Medicare Advantage continues to gain ground. You now have 51% of seniors enrolling in Medicare Advantage plans. And I do think that the way to go in the future is to, to get fully out of fee-for-service, which is this transactional sick care model that everyone agrees does not work for patients or caregivers, is really to just go all in into a new and holistic approach to medicine where you can actually take care of the whole patient and not have to think about transactions or diseases apart from the patient. So anyways, very excited about this discussion with you, Ron. Well, me too, Gordon. I got to tell you, I can't figure out a couple of questions. Number one is, if full-risk value-based care is really where it's at, not only for CMS, but for the doctors who are participating, and certainly the patients whose outcomes are improving, why isn't everybody full-risk? Why are they tippy-toeing into VBC? Well, it's exactly what you said. You can't tippy-toe into VBC. In fact, the, the definition of VBC is so confused right now because people think that if you have a contract that has some type of value incentive, you're in VBC. 
where in the meantime, 90 to 95% of your practice may still be fee-for-service. So if you don't actually get a change in your practice and how the, the clinicians, PCPs, are treating their patients, all of the patients, not just a handful of patients, then you're, you're, you've really not moved away from fee-for-service. So what I like to do is I like to say, hey, VBC, as it stands today, how people look at it, that's not the destination. The destination is transformative care. There you go. Transformative care is the pursuit of health and wellness for everyone involved, right? Patients mm -hmm. and caregivers. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you get to transformative care? You, you can't aim for VBC or dipping your toe in. That's not enough. You have to first move to a mindset of outcomes. And outcomes means, again, right? Not how many patients I can see per day or how many procedures I can do or how many, you know, CPT codes or whatever, right? RVUs. It's, it's how do I produce the best health outcomes for my patients? And how do I do that while I am taking care of the caregiver as well? And once you, you switch to an outcomes mindset, you can, now you can only do this in like a full risk setting, right? Where, where you're compensating for taking care of the whole patient or where you're, you're out of this kind of mindset of, you know, transactional medicine, which, you know, DPC is a great example of that. You're telling me when we spoke last that one of your happiest days was when you deprescribed patients. You love getting them off their meds for hypertension and for diabetes and deprescribing is a good day for you, right? Well, I mean, you have to just do whatever is in the best interest of your patient's health. And oftentimes it's removing medicines, right? Mm -hmm. Or it's it's actually, you know, going after the root cause of issues. So kind of rather than just throwing more insulin or throwing more medicines at patients, if you can get to the root cause and solve the, the underlying behaviors that are leading to the issues that the patients are having, well, then then you, you've done the patient a great service and you've done it for lower cost, right? We, we need to just shift out of this mindset of just being reactive or just throwing pills at patients or just pushing them to different specialists and you know making it more confusing and do the best we can in primary care to say, hey, how do we meet the patient's needs at the root cause and then work on that behavior change? So at ChenMed, I mean, ChenMed has been really... You know, uh, we've gotten a lot of recognition. We've been on the Change the World list. Um, Newsweek magazine had us on America's most loved company in healthcare two years in a row now. And really, really, we're a change organization. So let me ask you about that. And specifically, the chronic patients at Verta Health, as an example, a very large part of their cohort is reversing A1C and deprescribing large percentage being over 60% over five years. Does ChenMed have some kind of numbers like that that shows how the outcomes are actually improving for someone who doesn't want to get off the couch? Absolutely. So we, we've seen 30 to 50% reductions in hospitalizations. And when we're looking at our patients, we're watching them over time and compared to patients that are not in our model, that live in the same communities and the, you know, the same demographic and same disease burden that our patients have, our patients are actually outliving them five to seven years. And we see reductions in stroke, 
Um, we've even seen cancer survival rates improve. Now, I, I think that a lot of this is just having people that are focused on, you know, taking care of other people and meeting them where they are. And our patients, you know, they're seniors, they're old, they're poor, they're sick, they're in, they're un, in these underserved communities. And once they have people rooting for them, holding them also accountable for health and partnering together to go on that journey with frequent visits and, you know, continuing to see each other like monthly, then it's not a surprise why you would get better outcomes and better results. Okay. So you're talking Gordon in the future to a doctor and they're saying, you know, hey, and they're just friend. I'm thinking of Walmart. I'm thinking of going to CVS. I'm thinking of going to Amazon Health. I'm thinking of going to Village Medical. Why should I go to Chen Med and talk to them? Well, people who go to Chen Med, the, the physicians that go, and we, we have recruited last year over 350 physicians and, and clinicians. And we, we continue to have in many of our markets waiting lists of clinicians trying to, to get into Chen Med. And the reason is because we have this amazing physician leadership development culture. We are growing at such a fast rate where we're doubling every two to three years. And what happens when you when you grow at that rate, you create so many opportunities for growth and leadership development. And we we tend to promote from within. And so our mentorship, our training, our, our executive coaching, we even have you know a, a formal Chen Med University that develops our PCPs to become outcomes-based champions. And so that they learn behavior change. They learn leadership. They learn the healthcare business. And as they learn and grow, opportunities continue to, to just present themselves. So it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon to meet a Chen Med leader, a physician leader, or a business leader, and you just ask them, how many times have you been promoted in the last few years? <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. it tends to be, you know, two, three times. And it's, it's almost in some cases could be a promotion every year. So now with growth comes opportunity and also this connectedness to mission and purpose, which I think other companies like may not have as much. But when we're going into the neediest communities, and you, you see the healthcare transformation occurring in front of your eyes. You, you get this fulfilling purpose combined with personal opportunity. And that combination is so rare in healthcare or in any business today. Fulfilling purpose and personal opportunity. When you have those, then people will come. You know, if you have a waiting list, that answers a question I was going to ask you. There are some companies that I mentioned earlier that are you know, having massive signing bonuses to recruit primary care practitioners, and they're not uh, attracting them, in other words, by what you're saying, which is culture, they're attracting them by cash, by honey. So if you have a waiting list, you don't need to pay a sign-on bonus to people to bring them into your team. Well, you know, Ron, um, I, I think you have to understand the market. You know, what's what what's the market? And then how do you um, go above and beyond whatever the market is? So although culture is important, it is super important. People people want the right culture to, to grow, to thrive in, right? Mm -hmm. They also want to make good money, okay? So we, we don't have a culture here where we say we're, 
we're going to have such an amazing culture. We're not going to pay you as much as everyone else. No, no, no. We say, hey, we're, we're going to be competitive and we're going to have a great culture and, and great leadership development. Now, this is back to this concept. It's not just the fulfilling purpose or or the culture for that matter. You got to have the personal opportunity. So at Chenmin, we want to create this environment where you can have your cake and eat it too. Okay. Now, in terms of kind of what we're doing for our physicians, we're, we're trying to create the best destination for the best PCPs in healthcare. Because quite honestly, I mean, we're, we're taking care of really sick, complex patients. Mm-hmm. And so we, we really need, you know, the best of the best coming to Chenmen. And this is the reason why we, you know, we, we have a, a very rigorous, um, you know, screening uh, program and, and uh, interview process. And, and then we continue to pour into our clinicians as they come in. And, you know, to be honest, it, it's it's not easy to take care of old, poor, sick patients, but it's very fulfilling. Well, I'm going to talk to you about that in a second. Before that, so let's assume you go into consulting and with your last name and with you, what you and your brother and your family have accomplished, you have a lot to be consulting about and the national recognition, the national respect. You can go to any ACO in the country and say, I can help you turn around your culture, get into full risk the right way, not tiptoeing anymore. Is that a task you want to do, or is that just a lot of moving pieces? Yeah, you know, Ron, just in terms of the transition, and, and maybe it'd be good to just give you a little bit of background. So, mm-hmm. you know, what happened is we had brought in Steve Nelson to be the leader, the CEO of about a third of our business. And he was a CEO of, of GenCare. And all of our businesses were operated the same way, but we just thought, hey, what a great opportunity to see if we can get you know top talent like Steve Nelson to come in and, and see if he can accelerate that part of the business in terms of growth. And so we had an ability to not only bring him in, watch, see how he kind of integrated with our culture and and understood our model and aligned with our values. And we were very impressed. We we're also very impressed by the, the talent that he brought in and the, the ones that he elevated in to support that part of the business. And so when it became clear over the last three to six months that splitting the company up was not a good idea, right? We were in this very unique situation where we had two really good executive teams and we had the legacy executive team mainly family members you know owners and operators right like myself mm-hmm. and, and my family and my wife my parents sister and um, and Chris as our CEO and so uh, we had the beautiful opportunity to to ask ourselves these difficult questions what could Steve and his team bring that our existing team couldn't bring could we continue to champion the same mission-driven culture, but then accelerate our scale and impact with the right leadership team that understands how to navigate with the payer side and understands the needs of our communities. And so, you know, after much prayer and consideration, we said, listen, you know, let's keep the company together. Let's have Steve lead as a president and as a family we're going to step back from the day-to-day operating and we're going to lead from the board and we're going to um, do everything we can to support this new leadership team so that they can be successful 
transforming American healthcare. And then it's going to open up capacity for us as a family to figure out other ways to transform healthcare. So that's a little bit of the background. I know you're asking about consulting and whatnot. Don't exactly know what Jessica and I are going to do in the future. Um, you know, obviously we're, we're, uh, we're, we're going to continue to try to transform American healthcare in complementary or supplemental ways or, or slightly different ways. But we are committed to this concept of transformative care. Yeah, and love it. This pursuit of health and wellness, um, not just for patients, which which is which, which is a must, but then also for all the caregivers. And you just see too much burnout, and you see, you know, too much just uh, a lack of investment in the healthcare providers pouring themselves out to patients, and and just it, it it's hard to do in the wrong business setting, like a fee for service type of model. You just get drained. So what is your reaction when when I told you at the top of the show, we have 25 million members that I know of by my count. It's actually 31, but I, I scale it down because I'm not a journalist. And I don't ask the right questions when I get these CEOs and CMOs on. I ask, how many members do you have? And they'll say 8 million, 3 million, a million. But that doesn't mean they're engaged. Sometimes it's only three of the six that are engaged because they may have a giant corporation, but not everybody's ready to give up their doctor yet. And they'll stick with the PPO despite the fact that the healthcare is free on the other side of the DPC. So I call it 25 million. As I re-interview people for a second time, I'm now getting your engagement number and your addressable market. So I know I can get the difference, but how do you feel about 25 million? That's not a bad number for America to see doctors and patients winning, right? Yeah, you know, I, lo I love the concept of, uh, of direct primary care. You know, I think it's a great option. I think it's, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think it's more for just normal Americans that are working and that, that need access to, you know, great medical care and that don't want to go through the rigmarole that the existing model has, right? Yeah, concierge is what got MDVIP kind of got the thing off the ground. There's only 250,000 members of MDVIP, which is 1% of DPC, but DPC is, is basically concierge care doc workers all the way to the CEO, all the way up. Everybody gets, you know, the same primary care and it increasingly is stretching the definition. And you know this to mental health, which every primary care doctor does, but mental health has now included behavioral health as well as occupational and physical medicine. So that's what the employer wants. That's what the employer is getting is a definition of primary care that includes just keep them at work. And I don't want them absent. I don't want them not feeling, I don't want him to go to some dumb clinic if they can go on site or if they can go near site. Ron, it doesn't surprise me because the movement is going away from being one of thousands of patients on a panel, which, you know, if you're one of thousands of patients on a panel, you're just a number. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so if you, if you shrink the panel size to something manageable, then you can take care of the whole person. And I think that that's what, you know, MDVIP concierge, you know, medicine is going for. Um, you know, the question is, how do we continue to make it accessible and affordable for everyone involved? Now, at Chenmed, we've been able to do it through a full risk model and, and you know, not, not burdening the, the seniors with additional payments or whatnot. But what's happening, I think, in, in the rest of healthcare is people end up paying for it one way or the other, right? Mm -hmm. Insurance premiums go up, the cost of healthcare continues to rise, it's you know, it's it's very difficult to wrangle down. And then that cost burden is pushed out 
to employers, which end up having to push it out to somehow to, to their employees. So, you know, I think ultimately we need to get away from just, you know, patients just being a number to actually taking care of the, the whole person. Yes. That be done with these smaller panel sizes. All right. So a couple of final questions here to wrap this up and respect your time, Gordon, is my graduating class uh, is 64. Next year, I'll make a choice. In the next few months, I'll make a choice. Medicare Advantage, Medicare straight up. And I'm inclined without a Chen Med in my backyard in San Antonio, Texas, to go Medicare because I can always switch into Medicare Advantage, but it's hard to go backwards. What would you advise someone who is in my age group to do? Well, I mean, I think the first thing you, you have to do, regardless of of kind of where you are, is you, you need to find the right practice that takes care of person, right? And is not, you know, overburdened with too many patients mm-hmm. and is looking out for you without an incentive to do too much to you or mm-hmm. do too little to you for that matter, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I think the important thing is incentives matter. So just, I, I don't, I don't think you, you should just go out and find any doctor. I think you need to go find uh, a system with the right incentives that are aligned to your health. I wish Medicare paid per member per month. I wish I could join a, a DPC, but I can't. There are some obscure ERISA laws that forbid a DPC doctor also take fee for service. You can't do both. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, um, but, you know, I, I do think the future in, in senior care is still going to be Medicare Advantage. There's a reason why it continues to grow every year and is now the majority of how seniors get their care um, because it's, it's a very attractive value proposition for seniors. And, you know, it's, it's also different, but having someone coordinate your care and, and someone accountable that's the key. That That's what I don't see in any fee-for-service system is true accountability for outcomes because they're, they're not on the hook. Yeah, I understand. All right, you know how this ends. I'm going to ask you, if you could fly a banner overhead for America to see, what would that banner say? We need transformative care, which is the pursuit of health and wellness for everyone involved. And we need the right transformative leadership to get there. Everybody wins. Yeah. Gets back to you and I are saying the exact same thing. And if folks want to find you, Gordon, what's the best way to reach you? Oh, they can find me on LinkedIn, follow me on YouTube, uh, or check out uh, the book, The Calling, a memoir of family, faith, and the future of healthcare. Uh, That's on Amazon. Yes. And you'll see that link to that on our show notes. All right, Gordon, thanks again for your time. And we'll look forward to catching up again in a few years. Thanks so much, Ron. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.